Let me thank you guys for coming. You can have a seat. Uh, we are uh, we're grateful to be here, um, and especially in this uh, kind of weird season. Remember when uh, in the springtime you only had to worry about setting your clocks forward, and that was like the highlight of the hoops you had to jump, and now we have all these other hoops, um, one of which is COVID, and Pastor Jimmy, our, our uh, teaching pastor, he is in quarantine. Um, Robin and Lily uh, had COVID. Robin is back with us. Woo! Um, but uh, Lily and, and Jimmy still have a little bit of time left uh, before they are uh, back with us. Supposedly, he should be back next week. All things considered, in the meantime, we are going to continue with our Unsatisfied series. Uh, he's coming once again uh, through video, um, so I hope you guys are encouraged by this. Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books, um, but uh, if you do have questions, if you're a guest, uh, you can type TLC guest to uh, 94,000, text it to us, um, or TLC decision to 94,000. That'll uh, bring you to a form you can fill out, and we can get in touch with you that way. Um, in the meantime, thank you guys for being here, um, and I uh, hope you get a lot out of our uh, message this morning. Thank you. Good morning. If you've got a Bible, uh, grab it or your device. Go to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 2 as we continue in our Unsatisfied series. And today I'm going to talk to you about the problem with pleasure. And that may evoke a reaction from some of you. You're like, yeah, the problem with pleasure, only some kind of religious fundamentalist, uh, no fun kind of person is going to say there's a problem with pleasure. I mean, who would say that there's any kind of problem with pleasure? Don't we all want pleasure? And uh, of course we do, but it can become a problem when it's unrighteous. It can become a problem when your philosophy of life, your lifestyle is pursuing hedonism, which hedonism is the philosophy that says that uh, pleasure is the end goal, the ultimate goal of life, like life is one ongoing spring break trip at the beach or something like that. So some of you may you know, push back a little bit to even that title or that concept, but I'm asking you to hear me out. In fact, though, as we go through the message, there may be some people on the other side of the spectrum who begin to push back because I'm going to say that in the right context, in the right situation, in the right way, uh, that pleasure can actually be a good thing, a godly, God-glorifying kind of thing. And so some of you, if you're very religious, maybe coming from a legalistic background, may think I'm some kind of liberal compromiser or that kind of thing. And so, as I often say, you can fall in the ditch on either side of the road, and I think those are two ditches when it comes to uh, looking at the idea of pleasure, but I want to try to help us today to actually see it in a biblical way. And this is what I think that the Bible, that what this passage is telling us about pleasure, and that is that the problem with pleasure is that apart from God, it is fleeting and therefore unsatisfying. The problem with pleasure is that apart from God, it is fleeting and therefore unsatisfying. Can you have pleasure apart from God? Sure. 
Can it be good? Yes. Can it be bad? Yes. But you can certainly have pleasure apart from God. But what I'm saying to us today that really Solomon is saying to us is that pleasure cannot ultimately bring satisfaction or fulfillment. It's not ultimately lasting. It's not something that's weighty enough to actually build our life on. So remember the background. Solomon is the wisest man in the world, the richest man in the world. He's ultra successful. Uh, got it, everything in the world going for him. But he said that he hated life. He was the king of Jerusalem, had every uh, pleasure at his hand, uh, but he talked about you know, how he pursued wisdom. We saw that last week. Now we're going to see how he went from wisdom to pursuing pleasure because he said, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Everything's empty, pointless, meaningless, futile, uh, absurd, apart from God, under the sun. So understand the context here. This is the man who had it all. This is the man who tried it all. And he's about to lay that out for us. He's not some just religious repressed prude who had never actually done anything. He might be somebody that you want to listen to his testimony. And so here's what he said. He said, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. In other words, we saw at the end of chapter one, wisdom didn't satisfy. He says, so now let's go for pleasure. He says, but surely this also was vanity. I said of laughter, madness. Now, obviously there's nothing wrong with laughter. The Bible says a cheerful heart does good like medicine. God designed us to laugh. He's just saying though, to think that that is what can ultimately satisfy us, that that is what we can build our life on is just madness. He says, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? He says, I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guarding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. So he's saying, you know, we only have a certain number of days and basically the philosophy he was trying out here was the Epicureans who said, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. It's all empty Apart from God, we're going back to the dust, so let's make the most of it while we can. Let's uh, enjoy uh, life in, 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 in the moment. And he said, well, you know, I tried this with wine. And he says here, I tried it a couple different ways. He, he, he tried it, you know, wine while holding on to wisdom, which would seem to me to saying he's kind of like a wine connoisseur, checking out all uh, the, the fine wines. But then he says, well, I went from that to laying hold on folly, so maybe he just became like a sloppy drunk. And, but the point is this, that it didn't satisfy. And listen, the Bible doesn't absolutely forbid drinking wine. Uh, some of you can, some of you can't. You know, it says you can drink it in, in, in moderation, but... If it's a stumbling block to others, if, it, if it's addictive to you, ultimately, if it's in the place of God, if you're relying on that uh, to try to fill a hole, to try to satisfy you, to, to try to get you through life, it's a problem. I, th I think that's part of the reason why in Ephesians 5.18, Scripture commands us, says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Alcohol is a bad substitute, a really bad substitute for the Holy Spirit if you're trying to use it to fill up something on the inside. 
He said, I made my works great. So he moved from just pleasure seeking, from just hedonism to accomplishment. He says, I built myself houses, planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards, and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. So he's kind of like a botanist. He has all this uh, beauty. He's into architecture. Like, you know, he could be on cribs or lifestyles of the rich and famous or something like that. He says, I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of the provinces. Um, So he's fabulously rich. There is nothing that's not at his disposal. He says, I acquired male and female singers the delights of the sons of men and musical instruments of all kind. So when it says, I acquired male and female singers, it's kind of like, think of it this way. Um, think about whoever your band, favorite band is. Um, type it in the, in the chat if you want to. But what, what's your favorite band? Think about being so rich that you could hire your favorite band, build them a guest house that they lived in, and it's like they're doing a perpetual residency at your house, playing a concert anytime you want. That's, that's what was going on here. Now, when it says the delights of the sons of men and musical instruments of all kinds, this musical instruments of all kinds is kind of an enigmatic phrase, hard to translate in Hebrew. I think this is kind of a nice translation, uh, but some other translations say harem. And uh, I, I think this is a better way uh, to translate it, actually. You know, it's 700 wives, 300 concubines. We, we've already seen that. So it's kind of like one of his houses or some of his houses. kind of like he was living at the Playboy Mansion, too. So he had all of this. He did all of this. He says, verse 9, So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And then this is kind of how he sums it up. He says, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. He tried it all. He indulged himself fully. He says, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and on the labor in which I had toiled. And indeed, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. He says, I had it all. I tried it all. I fully indulged myself. Just vanity, empty, nothing. It's grasping for the wind. There's no profit, no real gain under the sun from this. So the man who had it all, the man who tried it all, this is his take on it. Are we going to listen to him and learn from him? Because, you know, really in life, we can learn from making our own mistakes, or if we're smart, we can learn from other people's mistakes. And I think if Solomon were in the room today, that's what he'd say. He'd say, learn from my mistakes, so, but why, why was this a mistake? I mean, why not go after pleasure? 
Well, what's the problem with pleasure? So let me point out just kind of some problems with pleasure that I think we can infer from this text. And then I want to give us some solutions that are rooted in Jesus Christ. So number one, uh, the pursuit of pleasure is often selfish. That's a problem. If, If you look at this, and if my count is correct, he uses the words, I, me, or myself, or my, 39 times in these 11 verses. You think he was a little obsessed with himself? He went from focusing on God to being wrapped up in himself. And Billy Graham said one time, a man wrapped up in himself is the smallest package in the world. I mean, uh, it just reeks of self-centeredness. I mean, think about how he used women He had all these slaves. The text talks about that. What more selfish act than could you commit than buying another person and exploiting them in some way for your gain? Pat Riley, uh, you know, he's the, I think the president of the Miami Heat now, but he was the, the coach at the Los Angeles Lakers during their Showtime dynasty back in the 80s. And he talked about one year they won the championship, they were supposed to repeat the next year, but it kind of fell apart. And it fell apart because of internal issues, not lack of basketball ability. So basically they got selfish. And he called it, and I think this is a very wise term, he called it the disease of me. And Solomon was inflicted with the disease of me. All of us are inflicted with the disease of me. And sometimes an outward evidence of that can be our pursuit of pleasure. Warren Wiersbe has written that today's world is pleasure mad. Millions of people will pay almost any amount of money to buy experiences and temporarily escape the burdens of life. While there's nothing wrong with innocent fun, the person who builds his or her life only on seeking pleasure is bound to be disappointed in the end. Why? For one thing, pleasure-seeking usually becomes a selfish endeavor and selfishness destroys true joy. People who live for pleasure often exploit others to get what they want, and they end up with broken relationships as well as empty hearts. So understand, pleasure is not wrong in and of itself, but the pursuit of pleasure is often selfish, and that leads to all kinds of problems. Number two, the pursuit of pleasure leads to glorifying self instead of God. Solomon, obviously, in this stage of his life, was all about him. He had kind of forgotten God. He kind of walked away from God. It was, you know, his glory, his desires, his pleasures, not the pleasure of God, not the glory of God, not what God uh, desired. It it, it reminds me of of something that that I've read that uh, you'll probably understand why I like this. Maybe you've heard it before. But have you ever heard about dog and cat theology? Well, here's dog and cat theology. You take a dog and, and, and you treat it well. I mean, you, you take care of it. You love it. You pet it. You feed it. You care for it. That dog will treat you like God. That dog will uh, come and greet you when you come home. That dog will act like you're the greatest thing in the world. That dog will be loyal to you. On the other hand, you take a cat 
And you treat a cat like that, you take care of a cat, uh, pet a cat, love a cat, uh, just treat a cat good, that cat is going to act like it is God and act like the whole universe revolves around it. And you see, what we need to understand is God has been good to all of us. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. There's common grace. There's saving grace. Life, uh, every blessing we have, every pleasure we have, every good thing we have, our next breath, uh, being able to see the beauty of nature, your house, your car, your job, your family, your hobbies, anything you enjoy is a gift from God. But a lot of times what we do is we turn that inward and we make it about us and act like we're the center of the universe. We act like we're God and that God is just here to serve us instead of being grateful and thankful and living like we're here to serve God and treating him as God. And that's really the essence of sin is getting this backwards. Number three, the pursuit of pleasure has the law of diminishing returns built into it so it can lead to brokenness and addiction. Do you understand the pursuit of pleasure is often like a dog chasing its tail. It's, it's a never-ending striving to get back to that original high. That's why uh, people get into harder and harder drugs. It, it's why people uh, can move from one sexual relationship to the other. It's why uh, pornography users tend to get more and more deviant in, in, in what they're viewing it can even be, you know, with things that are good, things that there's nothing wrong with. Uh, you know, maybe it's enjoyable, but then we get bored with it. And so we got to move on to one thing. That's why there's been so many generations of video game consoles, for example. You know, all of this is why it takes more uh, drinks. It takes more uh, drugs for you to get that uh, same feeling. So you keep going farther and farther. It can lead to brokenness and uh, addiction. It's, it's why it can never ultimately satisfy. And it's why when you come down off that high, you still got the same problems. You feel worse than you did before. Things are really worse than they were before. Uh, Danny and Jonathan Aiken, who I keep quoting through this series, have said that the problem is that we're all sinful and broken, and that hurts. So we try to find ways out of our brokenness, but we just end up more and more broken. For example, some people think gender reassignment will fix their brokenness, but that only makes suicide 20 times more likely. Some people think intimacy will fill their brokenness, so they go from relationship to relationship trying to fill the void, but they end up hurt and unsatisfied each time as they look harder and harder for something they will not find. Others look to success in a job or making lots of money or hundreds of other things, but these things never bring lasting satisfaction. So much of our futility and brokenness is due to our own sin and our own idolatry in which we turn good things into ultimate things. We worship money, pleasure, sex, success, power, and much more. Instead of seeing those things as gifts from God to be used as he intended, we see them as ultimate and seek to get from them what they cannot give. So often the things we think we want so badly fail to provide what they think what we think they will, and we end up empty. That is the brokenness of departing from God's good design. We all sin, 
and we're all broken. Pleasure doesn't fix that. Pleasure actually increases that. Number four, the pursuit of pleasure causes us, causes us to have the wrong priorities which can wreck our lives. You see, if you become consumed with pleasure or if you become consumed with climbing the ladder of success, with accomplishments, with having more, with whatever it may be, then your priorities are wrong and it's gonna mess up your relationship with God. It's gonna mess up your relationship with other people. It can mess up your life in so many ways. I mean, think about all the stories we've read of successful athletes or entertainers who blew it all because they got caught up in the, caught up in the party scene. Or maybe even more close to home. Think about people we know. And as I say this, there will be people who pop into you, whose faces pop into your mind. Think about the people we know that it looked like they were living the American dream. You know, had a nice family, uh, had a great house, seemed successful. Uh, they're working hard. They're trying to get ahead. Maybe they become a workaholic, though, and things slip at home, and uh, relationships start falling apart. Maybe it ends up in a divorce, or maybe one spouse cheats on the other, or maybe to fill that hole, uh, one it gets addicted with, with something, and something that looks so good, the outside, the facade, uh, the, the, the social media uh, pictures with all the filters and everything right. It, it seems like then all of a sudden, poof, that's just gone. It's fallen apart. But it wasn't poof. It was people pursuing the wrong priorities. And eventually, if something's crumbling inwardly, it's going to, come, it's going to become obvious outwardly. Number five, the pursuit of pleasure keeps us from dealing with the real issues, but it does not work at numbing the pain of life. I mean, that seems like what Solomon was trying to do. It's like, it's vain, our days are numbered, going back to the dirt. How do I cope with this? Couldn't figure it out through wisdom. Well, let's deal with it, let's numb the pain by accomplishment and pleasure and just gratifying myself and doing everything that I want. But listen, when we avoid dealing with the real issues and when we try to numb the pain, it just increases the issues that we have to deal with and in time it just makes our pain worse. Listen, if you think you can avoid issues, if you think you can just stuff it down, if you think you can just deny and ignore the pain and not deal with it, not take it to the Lord, not get help from other people, that's a lie from Satan. It can ruin your life. Some of you know you've tried it. The bottle didn't drown your pain. It didn't solve your problems. It made it worse. Drugs didn't do that. Sex didn't do that. A career didn't do that. Accomplishments didn't do that. Really, even religion or family doesn't fix it. Listen, if there's something wrong on the inside of us, it has to have an internal solution. 
external things can't fix it. And in fact, if we're messed up on the inside, it's going to spill over into those external things and it's going to mess up things in our lives. Don't believe the lie. Be honest. Get help today. Uh, Deal with what's going on. Take a step uh, that you need to uh, take. Stop running. Stop running from accountability. Stop running from relationship. Uh, Then start running away from the things that are dragging you down, Uh, the the pleasure or whatever it may be that you're going to, to try to fill a hole, to try to soothe the pain, to try to deal with things in your life. And then number six, and, and the last in, in talking about the problem with pleasure, the pursuit of pleasure does not ultimately and permanently make us happy or satisfied. I mean, look again at verse 11. Solomon said, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. The New York Post ran the following story about a 49-year-old designer, Lorenz Scott, who shocked New York City by committing suicide. <clears throat> and, and, and this is uh, what the article said. It was written by Maureen Callahan in March of 2014. Uh, she wrote, to look at her carefully curated Instagram feed, Lorenz Scott was a one percenter, a gold-plated member of the international elite. There she was on vacation in India with boyfriend Mick Jagger. At his retreat on the island of Mystique, about to board a chartered chartered helicopter, lounging poolside in gold jewelry and designer sunglasses, stretched out on a private plane, using her $5,000 Louis Vuitton handbag as a footrest. I always say luxury is a state of mind, she told a reporter, because for me it really is. It's legroom, it's a beautiful view, it's great food at a great restaurant uh, you've uh, discovered. And then on Monday, March 19th, 2014, she committed suicide hanging herself in a $5.6 million Chelsea apartment that likely did not belong to her. Within hours, Scott's life was revealed to become an elaborate facade. Her business at least $6 million in debt. Her fashion world friends and celebrity clientele unaware of her despair. Philip Block, a stylist for celebrity, said, Ironically, last week I said to three different people, I wish I had her life. Look at her life. She's always somewhere fabulous and fancy. You think, here's someone who has it all. You just never know. And the article concluded, while the chasm between Scott's marketed life and her actual life came as a shock, she was just one of countless New Yorkers who secretly fake their fabulous lives. Listen, don't be fooled by the facade Don't be fooled by the celebrity culture. Don't be fooled by the social media. So many people who seem to have it so great are living lives of quiet despair and hopelessness. And that may be you. And the reality is the things of this world are not ultimately going to satisfy us. Wisdom isn't. Money isn't. Pleasure isn't. So what will? You see, because the ultimate point of this series, and I think the ultimate point of the book of Ecclesiastes is to give us hope, but it is to strip away that facade, to help us see that life under the sun, life on our own, life apart from Jesus never can work, and to point us to him 
So let me go to the New Testament and, and, and point you to Jesus so we can see what the solution to the problem with pleasure actually is. Number one, we need to see pleasure, at least righteous pleasure, as a gift from God that we are to be content with and thank him for. Ecclesiastes 2.24, and the few times Solomon sprinkles uh, sentences like this into the book, he says, nothing is better for a man than he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. So it's like I was saying earlier, the blessings we have in our lives, and if we're honest, we have a lot of them. I know it's mixed with pain and problems, but we have a lot of blessings. Do we see those as gifts from God that we thank him for, that we acknowledge him as the source and we choose to be content with? Or we gripe and complain and focus more on what we don't have? That's human nature. I'm guilty of that. I think we're all guilty of that. But if if we're not gonna be sucked into just this life of pleasure-seeking, part of that is being thankful for the pleasures, for the gifts that we have. Once again, the Aikens write that the creation of humanity and the fall into sin are the background to Solomon's observations of life in this broken world. God created the world good with a design for everything. God created the world as a perfect home for his children, humanity, and gave good gifts like food, drink, relationships, and sex. God designed these gifts to be used as he intended and not as ends in and of themselves. They were designed to cause our hearts to worship our creator. So when we eat, drink, or enjoy sex with our spouse, these activities are intended to elicit a reaction of praise and gratitude to God for his good gifts. Instead, we rebelled against God's good design and began using his gifts in ways he did not intend. We turned them into ends rather than means. We sought to find satisfaction in the created things rather than the creator God, and that brought a curse on the world. Now there are death and brokenness and things do not work right. We abuse the gifts so that now food becomes gluttony, drink becomes drunkenness, and sex becomes adultery. We reject our God-given roles in marriage. Labor to provide for our families is now frustrating and difficult. Genesis 3 says sweat and frustrating fruit production will characterize our work, and we will ultimately return to the dust from which we were created. Thus, Ecclesiastes describes the meaninglessness and frustration of life in a Genesis 3 in a fallen world. But part of the antidote to that is thankfulness, is contentment, is acknowledging these gifts as from God and worshiping him for them. Number two, if we're gonna overcome the problem of pleasure, the problem with pleasure, we have to choose to forsake the temporary pleasures of sin for the greater treasure of Jesus Christ. Listen to Hebrews eleven twenty four through 26. It says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. You see, there is pleasure in sin for a season, but it doesn't last. 
The greater treasure is Jesus Christ. Remember last week, we talked about the propulsive power of a new affection. Uh, Jay loving his girlfriend's dog because he loves her. We need a heart change. We need Jesus on the inside of us. That's what is going to satisfy and fulfill us, not pleasure. That's how we're going to be able to overcome temptation and sin in our lives. There was a book that, that was written I think the title of it was Dear Me, but anyway, it's like a compilation of letters that people wrote uh, to their younger selves. And one of them uh, was the famous author Stephen King. And this is what he wrote. He says, I'm writing to you from the year 2010 when I've reached the totally ridiculous age of 62 in order to give you a piece of advice. Remember, he's writing to himself. It's simple, really, just five words. Stay away from recreational drugs. You've got a lot of talent and you're gonna make lots of people happy with your stories. But, unfortunate but true, you're also a junkie waiting to happen. If you don't heed this letter and change the future, at least 10 good years of your life from age 30 to 40 are gonna be a kind of dark eclipse where you disappoint a lot of people and fail to enjoy your own success. You will also come close to dying on several occasions. Do yourself a favor and enjoy a brighter, more productive world. Remember that like love, resistance to temptation makes the heart grow stronger. Stay clean. Now, it's easy to look back and say that now, though, but it's not that simple. You say, don't do it. You shouldn't do this. Well, we know we shouldn't do stuff. Right? Solomon has already told us it's not a lack of wisdom and knowledge. Like, you know, people have watched thousands of uh, cigarettes are going to kill you commercials, and they still smoke. I mean, you ever been outside a hospital and watched doctors and nurses on smoke breaks? They, they know all the science. It takes more than science. It takes the power of Christ, esteeming him as a greater treasure, esteeming him as the one who's worthy. That's what gives us a new heart. That's what changes us. That's what empowers us to overcome temptation. Number three, if we're going to overcome the problem with pleasure, we have to define our lives through the resurrection of Jesus Christ instead of the pursuit of pleasure. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul shares the gospel. He says that Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day and were forgiven through faith in him. And he tells us, as Jesus rose from the dead, we're going to rise also. That as Christ is alive, we're alive. And he goes on to tell us then that the, the resurrection of Jesus gives us a hope in facing death. And he gives us a purpose in living life. And, and, and this is the antidote to the problem that Solomon presents in Ecclesiastes. And where you know, our main idea is, apart from Jesus, life is unsatisfying uh, because... Uh, Life is meaningless and death is hopeless. And so he says in um, 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 32, he says, If in the manner of men I fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? In other words, why lay my life on the line? He says, If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But he ends the chapter by saying, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in uh, the Lord. And so what he's saying is, if Jesus rose from the dead, 
We're going to live also. We don't just go to the dust. If we're in him, there's a hope, an eternal hope. And he gives us a purpose in living life right now. So if we believe that, why pursue hedonism? Why pursue pleasure as the greatest goal of life? But pursue living for Jesus. I've told you this before, but then when I was in college, I went through a period of doubt and struggle with my faith and whether or not I was going to be a Christian. I was a history major. I decided two things. One, I was going to study the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if, if it showed that he rose from the dead, then I was going to follow him with my entire life. If it didn't, I was going to chuck the whole thing because I believed if that was true, everything else is true. If that wasn't true, it's not true at all. But I was like, got to get off uh, the fence with it. And, uh, you know, you have to follow what, what the, the truth. So I'm convinced that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And because of that, I follow him with my life. And that's not always easy. But I believe it's a gain and not a loss. Maybe I forfeited some temporary earthly pleasures out of devotion to Christ. But I'm gaining eternal glory I'm not just gaining eternal glory. I've gained right now because I've missed out on things that would hurt my life. And God has been so good to me. And I'm so richly uh, blessed. And, uh, you know, I get to preach the gospel. I, I get to uh, pastor wonderful people, uh, godly people in a wonderful church, have a great wife and great kids and just able to enjoy life. But then there's hope in facing death. Listen, you don't lose when you're following Jesus. You may be forsaking some earthly pleasure for a far greater gain because you can't lose when you're following the one who rose from the dead. So along with that, the fourth solution I would say to overcoming the problem of pleasure is to live for the glory of God. Isaiah 43, 7 says we're created for God's glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 tells us to do all that we do to the glory of God. And it's interesting, you know, this Hebrew word of vel that means vapor, that means emptiness. The Hebrew word uh, kavod is the word that's translated glory, and it literally means weightiness. So when we live for self, it's empty. When we live for the glory of God, it's weighty. There's substance there. It's real. That's what's going to last. You see, John Piper says God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. And what he's saying is that in life, uh, there's no uh, real contradiction between our satisfaction, our pleasure, and the glory of God because ultimately, if we're gonna glorify God when we're finding our satisfaction and pleasure in him, and if we're seeking to glorify God, that's where we're gonna find real, true, lasting pleasure and satisfaction. So, uh, Solomon would say to us, the Bible would say to us, repent of this selfish pursuit of pleasure and begin to live for the glory of God because of the risen Christ. Find your satisfaction, your pleasure in him. And life is going to fall into order and work according to God's design. Because remember, the wisdom of God is revealed in the Logos, the person of Jesus Christ. And then last, we need to know 
that God intends for us to enjoy pleasure with him forever. You see, you know, some people think that God's just kind of like this mean, grouchy old man that's all the time running the neighborhood kids out of his yard. That's the exact opposite of who God is. According to the Bible, God's a good God, a loving father who runs after sinners to bring them home to his house and to have him, have them in his presence, enjoying him forever. In Psalm 16, the psalmist puts it this way, starting in verse eight, he says, I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Jesus rose from the dead. But listen to this. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So we don't know exactly what heaven's like, but apparently it's full of pleasure. And what this means is that we are hardwired by God to find pleasure in him. C.S. Lewis wrote in The Weight of Glory, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered. Like an ignorant uh, child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. That's why we give in to temptation when God has something so much better for us. So to kind of bring all this together, what it means then is that true eternal pleasure that is ultimately satisfying and not vain or empty is found in Jesus Christ. That's what scripture is teaching us here. That's what we can learn from the testimony of Solomon, then taking it and making the New Testament connections to Jesus Christ. True eternal pleasure that is ultimately satisfying and not vain or empty is found in Jesus Christ. That's the conviction that he wants us to have. And then the, the step to take based on that is to surrender to Jesus by faith and find real, infinite true, lasting satisfaction and joy. Stop settling for unsatisfying substitutes like what Solomon talked about in the text. He said he wasn't satisfied by money and sex and, and possessions and accomplishments and laughter and pleasure and all these other things. And as we're gonna see when we get to the end of the book, it's only in God, as revealed in Christ, that we can find that. Listen, we all want pleasure. That's a desire from God. We want joy. We want purpose. We want meaning. We want satisfaction. But to get it, it doesn't come under the sun. It doesn't come from our self-centered pursuits. It doesn't come in earthly things. And so to have it, it starts with repentance. 
And repentance is a change of mind. And so the change of mind is seeing that if you're living your life for the pursuit of pleasure, you're going down the wrong road and it's time to do a U-turn and to turn and come to Jesus by faith. It's seeing your emptiness. It's seeing your sin, your rebellion against the holy God, your separation from that God. But it's seeing that Jesus is the great treasure that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, left heaven and came to earth. He died on the cross bearing our sin and our folly, all the stupid, ungodly things that we've done, all of our self-centeredness and rebellion, all the ways that we've sinned against God, all the ways that we've hurt other people, our wrong motives, our wrong thoughts, our wrong words, our wrong deeds, our failure to do the right thing. All of that was placed on him. He bore all of our sin so that his perfect righteousness and obedience could be given to us and we could be justified, declared right in the sight of God. We can be forgiven and cleansed and made new and made whole and brought into a relationship with God our Father. Jesus rose from the dead to prove that he was that perfect sacrifice and to give us eternal life. Right now, in this moment, whether you're in the auditorium, you're watching somewhere online, will you repent? Will you do that U-turn and by faith, will you come to Jesus? Will you bring your sin humbly to him? Confess it and ask forgiveness. Will you surrender to him? Will you say, I've messed up my life. I've done my own thing. It's not worked. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, come and forgive me. Jesus, take control of me. Transform me. Be my Lord and my Savior. Just call on his name and your words. Ask him to forgive you. Tell him you believe in him. Ask him to save you, to change you. Commit your life to him. If you've got questions about that, text uh, TLC decision to 94,000. Talk to somebody you know there in the room or find one of our leaders uh, after the service. They'll tell you how to do that. Or, um, uh, you know, if you're online, you can go in the chat or the comments section. Just let us know. Uh, we'd love to talk through that with you. If you're a Christian, you've not been walking with the Lord, you can repent today. If, if you've been pleasure-seeking, if you've gotten away from God and, and, and you're trying to fill your heart and your life with other things, there's sin in your life, you can do what Solomon did and, and come to your senses, come to a place uh, of repentance, come back home to the Lord. He's waiting with open arms. He doesn't want your life to be empty and meaningless. He wants to fulfill it with purpose and joy and satisfaction. Come to him today. Call on his name. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you for joy and pleasure and satisfaction. Jesus, we thank you that you came to save us. Let's pray right now that through your spirit that you would do a great work in people's lives, that you would draw people to yourself, that you would grant repentance, that you would give faith, that you would just transform people, that they would take the steps that they need to take to live this out. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.